Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where inspiring stories are brought to life. This podcast is made possible by Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. I'm your host, Dr. Drew Flam. This is the Grace Story Podcast. Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Mike Yoder. Mike is a Grace College and Grace Seminary alum. He has been the lead pastor at Grace Polaris Church in Ohio for 10 years. And most importantly, he is husband to Letitia, and also, who is also a Grace alum, and four kids, right? Four kids. Four kids. One post-college, one in college, and two in high school. Yep, that's it. Ooh, that's a lot of uh, games and evening activities to go to. There's a lot. It has been busier in the past in terms of schedule, but it's getting costlier by the month. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being here, Mike. I appreciate it. And thanks for being on our campus today. You spoke in chapel earlier today. Wonderful message, and we'll get into that a little bit. And uh, you are a, a known entity in these parts, um, but maybe a new name to some. So give us a little of your history and connection to Grace College and Grace Seminary? Well, Grace College and Seminary has its fingerprints all over my life the first uh, 25 years or so. My parents actually moved here uh, a year before I was born. Uh, My dad had recently completed a uh, PhD in music from Ohio State, and he had connections to a church there, which is well-connected to uh, Grace College and Seminary. And so he came on the faculty to teach music for a handful of years. And then rather quickly moved into academic administration. My mom uh, is a school teacher by training and then did some further graduate work. So in due time, when um, my two brothers and I were in elementary uh, grades, she began teaching part-time and then later full-time in the teacher ed faculty. So I grew up a professor's kid, two professors, uh, their kid, and spent most of my childhood here. And then in high school, my family moved away. Uh, a couple years later, I came back and was a college and seminary student and graduate. So you can't describe my life at all in the first 25 years without Grace College and Seminary being all over it. It's, uh, we were talking earlier about how <clears throat> you lived down the street from where I live, and I think about, you know, I have three boys. You had three. I, I need you to come over and do some counseling. Like, what does it mean to to grow up in, in a Grace College atmosphere? Because that that's, sounds so similar to the life my kids are living now. Well, it's overwhelmingly a good experience, I hope, for them as it was for us. <laughs> I wouldn't trade my childhood or where I grew up uh, to you as a parent. All I'd say is um, the best piece of advice I've gotten is, uh, number one, uh, this too shall pass. Number two, enjoy every minute of it. <laughs> and doing those simultaneously is a difficult that thing. That is a difficult task. So you uh, you decided to come to Grace, which was very familiar to you. Why, why did you, like, were there options or was it, you know, sort of like it's Grace is the place for your face? Or How did you decide to come to Grace for both undergraduate and then seminary? Well, it was my choice. Certainly there were options. My parents didn't put any pressure on us. But it was so much of our background, and I knew that my parents really believed in the mission of the school and knew a lot of people here. I actually grew up in elementary school and early junior high hearing that phrase, grace is the place for your face. (laughs) It was the way grace was marketed. Uh, Maybe it still is, and maybe that had a subtle influence on me. But grace was familiar to me, and I believed in what grace stood for in terms of academics and spiritual climate and training. And for me, it was always at the top of the list of where I wanted to go to college. Uh, your call to ministry. Did you um, come to Grace as a 
biblical studies major or pre-seminary? I mean, was that the intent um, early on in your life to go into the ministry somehow, somewhere? Yeah, that's a good question. As a teenager, I had a number of youth leaders in my youth group uh, here in the Warsaw and Under Lake area who ended up serving in cross-cultural missions. And that was always fascinating to me. Um, it wasn't just some theoretical thing. Some people go overseas and uh, proclaim the gospel and serve Jesus. But I actually knew people who were normal people, but mentors to me who actually went. And so the older I got as a teenager, the more I thought, I like cultures, I like languages, and I want my life to count in some way for God. Why not cross-cultural ministry? So I actually came here not knowing what I'd major in, but knowing that down the road, I'd want I, I desired to serve in some kind of cross-cultural capacity mm. and probably would need some formal Bible training in the process. But I didn't major in Bible um, as an undergrad. I was a communications and sociology major. Yes, communications. And, and yes. to be honest— We, we can't I would, be successful in life, Mike, that's, right? That's okay. exactly that right. That was my major, In too. fact, I've had people tell me, you know, some young person can major in just about anything, and we can teach them the— uh, specialized knowledge they're going to need, but they have to learn how to communicate verbally and in writing the technical stuff we can give to them. I think there's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> so anyway, I'm glad for those majors. Um, and then went on to seminary for the- Right away years. after college, like just uh, kind of seamless? Right away, because my wife got a teaching job and we figured she would fund us and I would go to school. <laughs> it was a great arrangement. So you mentioned uh, this, you know, God implanted this desire for cross-cultural ministry. Uh, besides having um, examples, um, had you experienced cross-cultural ministry, um, you know, gone, whether it be stateside or even internationally, as a, as a high schooler that made you even sort of envision what this could be? To some degree, like as a middle schooler or early high school, we went up several times to Chicago, did inner city work up there. Um, I hadn't been out of the country at all. Okay. But during my time here at Grace as an undergrad, I spent a summer working with RUN, Reaching Urban Neighborhoods in Inner City Philadelphia. Uh, after my sophomore year, I spent the whole summer over in Europe on a missions team and then taking about six weeks for further French study at the time. And then my junior year, I was a pastoral intern at a church in Ohio. So I got more of that a little bit later, but my interest was already peaked and my desire was already strong. So this morning in chapel, we like uh, we had um, uh, every language spoken. Well, not every. We had many languages spoken. Spanish. You got up and said some German and some French. Did Were you a French minor or what? where does French come in here? Yeah, that's a good question. I wasn't a French minor. I took three or four years in high school and then took another year here in college. Um, I knew just enough French to be dangerous, but through the experience of being in Europe after my sophomore year in Germany and starting to think about possibilities for mission work in Germany, um, all of my language kind of switched interest-wise from French to German. Okay. So we sang a bunch of Spanish songs in chapel today. I was <laughs> atrocious. I, I hope the microphone wasn't on me or that wasn't recorded. Um, but yeah, French and then later German became the foreign languages of choice or necessity. Uh, Pastor Kip Cohn introduced you this morning in chapel and uh, talked about the two of you um, together journeying towards Germany as a, as a place for missions. Tell me about, like, he talked about it a little bit, but I'm fascinated. Like, how, how did that happen when you were undergraduates together? And did that just... Like continue and and how did that eventually end up with 
both of you in Germany for a decade. Yeah. So Kip is actually more the age of my older brother. And so as a kid, you know, Kip was this older, athletic, uh, impressive teenage uh, boy and then young man. And so when I got to know Kip kind of again as a college student, he'd already been married a couple of years. He was teaching English in a local high school and then decided that he wanted to go on to seminary. And so he and Mary actually led the short-term team over to Germany that I was a participant on. Oh, wow. There were eight of us and then the two of them. And so that's where I began to get to know Kip, uh, not so much as this um, friend of my older brother who was impressive in all these ways, but more as a peer. And then as I finished college, started dating my uh, now wife, uh, we began to relate the four of us thinking about mission work and potentially serving together. Hmm. Did uh, did one of you go there first or was it at the same time? How did that work? They went first to Germany, you mean? Yes, um, yes. They went first to Germany. They did language school in southern Germany uh, for about 15 months. And during their time there, the decision was made uh, with our mission agency that the four of us would go up to Berlin, which at that point was kind of this new, fascinating city, used to be divided, capitalist, communist, um, atheists in terms of religious background, and that these two young, probably naive American couples uh, would go up there and seek to be gospel witnesses and work with young adults. Was there, um, so did you follow a similar path then, went to language school? So we went to language school directly in Berlin. They moved up to Berlin, and like six or eight weeks later, we arrived in Germany directly in Berlin, and we did all of our language work in Berlin which I'm grateful for because we got to learn the language as it was spoken in the place we were living. And like in many places in Germany, there are various dialects. So Kip and Mary may have had to relearn a little (laughs) bit of their German in the big capital city. Was there there a church already established there that you were working through, or were you kind of there to begin, I know particularly working with college students, I mean, a new new ministry from the ground? It was really a new ministry from the ground. There were some churches there— particularly in the western part of Berlin, but they were, I'll call them survival churches. They had endured the Cold War and kind of the um, island nature of West Berlin, and so they weren't particularly evangelistic, not in terms of belief, but in terms of practice. They, they had survived. In fact, all Berliners have a survivalist mm. mentality. And so this idea that the gospel was good news for people and life-changing and had the potential to change families and communities and districts of the city, there wasn't a lot of vision for that. So we kind of came in, we got to know some of them to affirm them as fellow believers, but we we got in working with university students and young professionals that we met, some who came to faith, some who were believers and just looking for uh, young people to link up with. There was a certain fascination with Americans at that point that we tried to use to our advantage relationally. And those early years were both very difficult spiritually and very rewarding relationally. We knew we were in a place that needed the gospel. Mm. So what, I mean, um, this is beyond my experience. So I'm just kind of fascinated to even know, like, I mean, you show up and it's like, okay, you know, go, go tell people about Jesus and raise up a, a new generation. Uh, uh, what do you do first? Like, what, what's, what's... How do you even get started? That was exactly the set of questions that we faced. 
So we linked in quickly with what we would call crew or intervarsity. There were some of those uh, small movements on the three big university campuses in okay. Berlin. And there were a handful or a dozen believers that we got to know. So we joined them for Bible studies, um, and we also spent time on the campus. We would take classes or audit classes. We did some survey work in the, uh, call it the campus green or the courtyard at these uh, center city universities. A lot of that was for educational background for us. What are the questions that students are asking? Mm. Um, What in the world would the gospel answer that they're curious about? So it was a lot for us, but it also gave us a good insight into um, what their religious background or even interest was. So we worked through some believers, and then we also just did some cold contact making in the most relational ways possible that we could. I should add one other thing. We started a German-American club, and again, in the 1990s, uh, to be an American was generally a positive thing in a place like Berlin. And so we would have Thanksgiving events, we would have Halloween events, Christmas things, anything that would kind of play off of cultural fascination as to how things were done in the States, and we learned things about Germany. They wanted to come practice their English. For us, it wasn't so much how could we get them there. We, we, we were pretty pragmatic about that, huh. but what we could offer them relationally and spiritually in the process. So um, would you describe Germany as a uh, like a post-Christian nation at that point in time? For sure. Okay, which is, which is where, you know, either we are or we're headed here in the States. So, you know, some of those um, ways of interacting with people and sharing the gospel uh, can be applicable to, to us, even in this environment that we live. Or, or I, I say that as a statement of fact, but I'm asking it more as a question. I mean, is there is there some applica- application to you know, the world we live in now? I think so. At the time, you could have divided Germany into thirds, a third Catholic, a third Protestant, Lutheran, and a third atheist. Uh, many of the Catholics and the Protestants were functional atheists anyway. That religion was kind of a name tag. It wasn't something that they believed in or actually had a big impact on their life. Where we were in Berlin, though, heavily atheist. In fact, they found Especially us— Especially on a university campus. Oh, totally. They found us to be a novelty because we were decently educated. We had learned German. We seemed to be relationally normal. But we were stuck— you know, a couple hundred years ago with this religion thing, and they couldn't quite figure out why we hadn't let go of Christianity, which may have served our culture well in the past, but we've all moved beyond that into the enlightened, scientific, what you see is what is real kind of mentality. And so I know we were always an enigma to them. We seemed very normal and very strange at the same time. Hmm. I think we're going to become more and more of that in the States, particularly in urban environments or multicultural environments where those who are followers of Jesus are an enigma, hopefully attractive relationally, but what we believe is really um, strange to them. Hmm. That's good application right there. Um, I, I want to fast forward a few years to uh, your coming back to the States and, and then uh, reconnection with Grace College and Seminary, not that I had left in any great sense. Um, tell us a little bit about like, how did you get, you know, you've been a board member for a number of years, um, 13 ish, 13 years. Okay. Uh, like how, how did that process of reconnecting to grace work for you and what got you excited about the opportunity to invest in a different way and be connected in a different way? Yeah. 
So we actually returned to the States in 2007. I began doctoral work up at Trinity on the north side of Chicago and uh, continued or actually started a role in uh, international leadership training with what is now Encompass World Partners, connected mm. with our Caris Fellowship, Grace Brethren Churches. So in 2008, the summer, I got a call out of the blue from Ron Manahan. Dr. Manahan called me and said, hey, would you ever give consideration to serving on our board of trustees? And the answer was, sure, but I had never thought of that. Um, you know, I was relatively young for a board member, uh, mid, late 30s, and honored by that because I believed in grace, and grace uh, had so much influence in my life. I've never confirmed this, but I suspect that somehow when Bill Kadip, Dr. Kadip, came to Africa when I was there on a short-term t- trip in early 2008, he met me, and maybe they were thinking about future board members, and he came back and talked to Dr. Manahan and said, hey, there's this Mike Yoder. He's doing further <laughs> studies. He's back in the States. He's an alum, uh, college and seminary. Maybe you think of him. I've never asked Dr. Kadip that. That's, yeah. I, I, maybe they were just scraping the bottom of the barrel for board <laughs> yeah, members then. That's, um, but that's kind of that's the genesis of how I became a board member. Well, you mentioned uh, in chapel connecting with Dr. Kadip for the first time in Central African Republic, yep. right? Yep. Uh, in a Just on a short-term missions trip, yep. gospel ministry trip of some sort. How did that come together? He came over. Um, they were trying to bring several leaders from our fellowship of churches over there because Mm. it was a big international or Central African leadership training gathering. And some people don't know kind of the connection there. So even give the little bit like, why would Grace College, why, why is the Caris Fellowship engaged in CAR? I mean, that's a, that's a, it's a long history there. Sure. Um, Here in North America, we have 230, 250 churches, 50, 60, 70,000 people in a worship service in a Karis Fellowship Church on a given Sunday. But uh, we have a long history, over 100 years of involvement in Central Africa, uh, mission work with the gospel. Well, that has just boomed. And there are, by some estimates, around 3,000 churches in the Central African Republic alone affiliated with uh, the Karis Alliance, the Karis Fellowship here in North America, and hundreds of thousands of people gathering on any given Sunday for worship services. So as you can imagine, the need for leadership training is huge, and a lot of the pastors in those village churches have next to no Bible training. So a lot has been developed over the recent decades. There's a desire for it to have some level of credibility, even accreditation. Um, Africans, Central Africans pay attention to what's happening in Europe and North America, and so their connection to Grace College and Seminary is a natural link for getting professors or teachers and and accreditation of some sort. So I'm guessing that Dr. Kadip was actually over there to solidify some of those Mm -hmm. uh, formal connections, as well as just to lend affirmation to what they were doing there. Yeah, I'd made it. Uh, so you uh, you came on the board and you've been on the board for 13 years yeah. and and served us in so many ways really well and uh, talk about some ways that your church and your ministry tell us about your current role and and how your church and ministry are still connected in with Grace College and Grace Seminary. Yeah, well, I came on the board in 2008 and uh, actually ended up going from Chicago to Columbus in 2011 to uh, become the lead pastor at Grace Polaris Church. That church has a long history that predates me by decades of influence and commitment to the Caris Fellowship and to Grace College and Seminary. Yeah. Many people would know the name Pastor Jim Custer, who served for almost 40 years in 
as a senior pastor there. Dr. Dave Plaster, who served here at Grace in administration, went there, uh, served just for a couple of years as uh, Pastor Jim Custer's successor before he, uh, from our point of view, unfortunately died of a rare virus. So he was just there for a little bit of time. I ended up going down there in 2011, was already on the board. And so for me to champion Grace College and Seminary was old news there. And when I say old news, I mean that in a good sense. Yeah, There was already a deep commitment. Lots of students from Central Ohio and from that church in particular who came to Grace, who are alumni, college, seminary, deep support for other uh, ministries in our fellowship. So I was basically just picking up the baton and continuing to run. And you've had interns and still have interns uh, on your pastoral intern. I mean, it's just amazing the number of ways that are the interconnection between the two. And thank you for continuing that because it's been a, a great benefit to us. Oh, well, we we love the connection we have and we believe in what Grace Schools is doing. And so to get current students or recent alumni there, particularly for um, ministry internships, future pastoral or cross-cultural or counseling or church planting service. It's great because we feel like we, we get a great lump of clay, so to speak, <laughs> that's still um, in formation but has all kinds of good DNA based yeah. upon Grace Schools. Uh, so you spoke in chapel today, and, and I, you've done that a number of times, but I'm, I have to assume as an alum there's still sort of like a you're you're used to speaking to lots of people, but it's still got to be a little bit of a thing where you're like, wow, chapel, you know, because I'm sure back in your days, it's such a big, big thing when you're a, an alum. So tell me, like, even just how you felt about being in chapel, and then tell us a little bit about what you shared today. Yeah. So in my pastoral role, I speak about 40 times a year for a couple of worship services on Sunday morning. And we're a larger church, but I honestly don't get nervous before speaking there, unless I feel like the sermon isn't going to be a good one. <laughs> it's not related to the size of the, the congregation um, or the environment. When I'm back here for Grace College Chapel, which isn't any bigger, in fact, maybe a little smaller in terms of numbers, yeah, there's some nerves and some um, nervous excitement about that. I wonder why that is. You know, part of it is because I'm, in some ways, I feel like I'm coming home. Yeah. In some ways, I think it's because here are these hundreds of 18 to 22 or three or four-year-olds who have so many choices in front of them. They're not locked in yet to a lot of responsibilities, and they're um, fertile ground, soft for how God can direct or redirect them. And so there almost seems to be a unique influence and significance to being able to speak uh, to students. Plus, I remember when I was a, a kid, a student here, for the most part, I ate up what the chapel speakers said. I, I felt like they were speaking to me. And I, as they spoke from texts and themes in the Bible, I was thinking, okay, what would that look like if I believe that for my life going forward? And I think and hope there's a large number of Grace College students who are thinking the same thing. Hopefully what I said was both biblically accurate and personally relevant to them as they think, what's my life look like for God? Hmm. So what did you share this morning, and, and how did that come to mind? You know, How did you get to the passage, and, and kind of give us a little summation of what you shared? Yeah. So the theme this year at Grace College and Chapel is Follow Me from Matthew's Gospel. Um, working with the chaplain, Brent Meccarelli, he said, hey, would you speak on one of the parables in Matthew 13? Sure. There are three or four really good parables there, some longer and more complicated than others. 
So I took the easy route and took the shortest uh, <laughs> parable, actually two of them, three verses, the pearl of great price and the hidden treasure in the field. And it's all the same point. Jesus is saying, when you find the kingdom, when you find the king, actually me, you should trade in all you have because I'm of much greater value. And so the challenge was from those verses, uh, students, you come with a lot that God's given to you or that you've achieved or that you want to be significant in your life. Um, that has no value in terms of impressing God. What you need is his son, Jesus the King. The interesting thing that I didn't uh, talk about at length this morning is God can take that which has no value for salvation and use it for great value in ministry. And Jesus' point is you, what you need is me, and then I'll transform all those things that I've given to you, gifts, interests, passions, into something useful when I'm the king of your life. So I hope students walked away from there thinking Jesus is worth far more than all of the other things that I want to put my significance in or my value in. And yet, once I'm submitting to Jesus as that good master and Lord in my life, he's going to take those things and make them useful. Uh, I was there, and it was uh, really well delivered. You're a great communicator, and um, I think that aspect of you know the treasure. We all know that parable, but we often think of it as the kingdom of God, and and that's expressed there. You just really emphasize the point that the kingdom of God is nothing without you know the the King, without King Jesus, and the need to focus in on the the person and the relationship with King Jesus. So thank you. That for me was a, a big underlined, emphasized point in my notes. Um, so thank you. And a lot of that comes out of my experience with people, not just young adults, who really like the the goods that yes. God seems to offer, the values and the clarity in life uh, of the kingdom. We might say. But the idea of actually submitting our lives to the person, the king, uh, we're not so sure about that. Yeah. And you can't de-link the king and the kingdom. They're a package. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much for just the many ways that you serve us at Grace, uh, your service on the board, the way you connect in with our students, chapel. I mean, it, it just goes on and on. I value your friendship. You're a, a wonderful communicator and a wonderful thinker. Um, and those have been deeply meaningful to me and uh, really meaningful to our whole campus. So thank you. Thanks. It's a delight to be here. This place has so much significance for me, and I pray for the years to come for hundreds, thousands of students as well. Grace has been the place for my face, and I hope <laughs> it is for many others. And thank you all to listening today, and we want to thank Dr. Wally Brath, Assistant Professor of Music, for giving us our music for today. We also want to thank Rick Neer for being our producer and if you could share, like, comment on this wherever you found it, we would be so appreciative. Until next time, live your best grace story today.